It's written in the second chapter of Luke, beginning at the 22nd verse. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. On this weekend after Christmas, we again come together rejoicing. The Christmas season is characterized by joy, a gladness that the light has come into the world. God has taken on human flesh in this newborn babe. We rejoice with the angels on high who said to the shepherds, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I hope your days of rejoicing are continuing. Most of us still have our trees up and nativity sets out. If your nativity set is like mine, Mary and Joseph prayerfully attend Jesus in rough-hewn surroundings. Shepherds come to the manger, sheep by their sides. The magi and maybe a camel or two rub elbows with the shepherds, gazing at the newborn babe. Of course, in reality, the shepherds and the magi did not come at the same time. The shepherds come on the night of Jesus' birth. The magi will not arrive until sometime later, after they see the star in the night sky, which marks the birth of Christ. They'll travel hundreds of miles to see the Savior. And then when the Magi depart Bethlehem, so will the Holy Family. It's then that Mary and Joseph will take baby Jesus into Egypt. But I'm getting ahead of our story just a bit. 
The tale of the momentous events surrounding the arrival of the Magi is our narrative for next week when I'll be preaching again. There's only one account in scripture of an event that happens with Mary and Joseph and Jesus, an event that happens in between the coming of the shepherds and the coming of the Magi. That event is the story I just read in the gospel lesson for today. The setting for this account is the great temple of the Jews in Jerusalem. This temple is a brand spanking new showplace in New Testament times, completely rebuilt and awesomely expanded by Herod. Sadly, this is not one of the great sites in Jerusalem today. In AD 66, the Jews rebel against the iron fist of Roman rule. It's called the Great Revolt. In response, the Romans besiege the city and bring total destruction as punishment when they reassert their rule. The shiny new temple of Herod is obliterated in AD 70. Today, one of the great shrines of Islam stands on this spot. So whenever you read in the Gospels of an event in the temple, this is the place. It was a tremendously busy sight. On the day of our Gospel story, Mary and Joseph are there with baby Jesus, but they are just three people in the crowd. They would have been just one little family among thousands pouring into the area around the temple in Jerusalem. The reason Mary and Joseph have come is because they are faithful, obedient to the law of God. They will conduct their lives and do for that special infant son what is commanded in Scripture. They're in the temple courts to fulfill the requirements of two parts of Old Testament Scripture. The first is because Mary is a new mother. Having given birth to a son, she is presenting herself in the temple complex 40 days after his birth as directed in Leviticus 12. She must offer a sacrifice to God. The second thing Mary and Joseph have come to do on this 40th day is to present and dedicate baby Jesus. Now, keep in mind, circumcision happens on the eighth day of life, so this dedication on the 40th day is a later ceremony. What you need to imagine here is the temple complex full of buying and selling. People in the outer court are buying animals for sacrifice. Money's changing hands. Money changers convert other currencies into approved coinage. The animals bleat and coo. Young families crowd in to make the purchases. Every Jewish mother comes for purification after childbirth. After every birth, that's a lot of new moms. Every firstborn son is being dedicated too. When Mary and Joseph enter with Jesus, they're met by a man named Simeon. His heart's desire is to behold 
the promised Messiah, before dying. The Holy Spirit has revealed to Simeon that he will indeed live to see the Messiah. He's been waiting and waiting. When Simeon arrives and looks at the crowds in the temple, he couldn't know that this would be the day it would happen. He'd been looking a long time. No doubt he imagined what it would be like the day when he'd finally see the Messiah. What do you think he'd been expecting? Probably a great man, someone distinguished, a polished speaker with leader written all over him. Nothing in the promise told him that it would be a tiny baby. In fact, just one baby among many in the temple that day. A baby just 40 days old in the arms of nondescript, ordinary parents. In the midst of the noise and bustle, Simeon sees the longed-for child. In the arms of Mary, Simeon recognizes the Messiah. The Spirit gives him this insight. Imagine how his heart must leap when the one he's been waiting to see is right in front of him. What unexpected rejoicing, yet rejoice he does. And he doesn't just look. The scripture says Simeon takes Jesus in his arms, and then with joy he prays to the Almighty in thankfulness. In the center of this image is Simeon, holding the Christ child, the Messiah. By the way, Christ and Messiah mean the same thing, the anointed one, the chosen one of God. The word Christ comes from the Greek language, and its equivalent, Messiah, comes from the Hebrew. This is a very personal moment for Simeon, but not a private one. The revelation is on display as they stand in the busy precincts of the temple. But most people don't recognize this baby Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This baby has a humble young mother, unremarkable to those around her. Yet she's the mother of the Holy One of God. He will be perfect and bring salvation to all people. But for the Jewish people, this baby's not the gift they asked for and prayed for, so they don't see. They're expecting the gift of the Messiah to be a present with great wrapping paper. They're expecting that guy with leader written all over him. Simeon knows the truth, though. He knows this babe is the Messiah, the promised one. And Simeon's humble, too. He's not patting himself on the back, engaging in self-congratulation for seeing what others fail to see. His words are a prayer. They're not about himself, but about the Almighty God. Here is the testimony and prayer of thanks that Simeon offers up to the Lord. Simeon says he can die happy now. The promise made that he would live to see the Messiah has been fulfilled according to the word of the Lord. And what is it that he's seen? It's not just a sweet baby face. 
He sees the Lord's salvation. Do you see that? Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon sees the Messiah, the one who saves. Seeing with eyes deeply rooted in a lifetime of godliness. His life has been specially blessed already. And then there's this moment. It's the summit of his lifelong experience with God. The Spirit has whispered to him, yes, this is the one. Here we see Simeon's prayer, which must be emotion-filled. Scripture tells us that Mary and Joseph marveled at the moment. We might wonder why they marvel. Mary's known since the angel Gabriel announced to her that this child would be the son of God. Her kinswoman Elizabeth also declared this truth again when the two women met while pregnant. Joseph has had dreams and heard the talk. They already know this baby is the Messiah. So why do they marvel? They are amazed because Simeon knows the truth. This stranger, this old man they've never met, gets it. What an astounding revelation. Simeon speaks of the salvation of God, a rescue operation that is indeed amazing to behold. This tiny infant, just 40 days old, is God's Messiah sent to secure salvation for the people. Jesus is the longed-for promised one of the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament. Through centuries of shadow and desolation, the prophets speak of the, the anointed one to come, the Savior. He will bring light into the darkness. Now notice this next bit in what Simeon says. The Messiah is not just for Israel. The Messiah will be a light for all nations. Simeon's using Old Testament imagery in this prayer with the use of the terminology of light. He's referencing Isaiah's prophecy of the Messiah to come. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus will call himself the light of the world. Jesus' declaration with these words is that he's the Messiah, the one promised by the prophets of old. And by the way, the artist here gets the reference too. Notice how baby Jesus is the light source in this painting, illuminating a world in darkness. The Jews were looking for a Messiah, but it's important to note that the coming salvation would be for all people, Gentiles as well as Jews. Simeon underscores this. Simeon's words contain powerful truths about Jesus the Christ. First, he says, his eyes have seen salvation. You see, salvation's not just a religious term. Salvation is a person. That person is the little baby Jesus who grows up to be a man and takes on the sin of the world. Simeon knew Jesus, the Messiah, wasn't just a light for the Jews. 
He was a light for the entire world. That's pretty important. Not many of us are genetically descended from the Jews. Our ancestry isn't going to buy us anything. Fortunately, the promise of salvation is not something we must earn or something we must have been born into. It's a gift. Salvation is pure grace, God's unearned love. That's what the baby in Simeon's arms is all about. The love of God, pure, unearned for everybody. This is the first Sunday of the Christmas season. We're focused on the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. The story of Christmas is for all humankind. The sweeping work of God through the ages, the love of the Lord, the promise fulfilled, are all embodied in the tiny baby held in Simeon's arms. Jesus didn't come just for a select group of people. Jesus came for all who would believe. That's why the Christmas story isn't just about a few Jewish people 2,000 years ago. Jesus came for you and for me and for all people, fulfilling the great promise of the ages. He is the solution to our problems. He's our Savior. In the arms of a humble godly man rejoicing in his presence. We see who Jesus is, the one who saves. Simeon's ready now, ready to die in peace. We too can have peace in this truth, and even more than Simeon, because we know the rest of the story. Salvation is ours today in Christ the Messiah. We can have confidence that our sins are redeemed by Christ. And so today, we continue our rejoicing. Amen.